Okay, so it's one o'clock. So welcome everyone to Drisha's spring program. And this is the second class in this series on Divrei uh, Deva, Responsa and Plague Time with Rabbi Zukir. We encourage everyone to turn on your video if you're able to. It's nice to feel that we're in a class together, just like uh, before COVID. Uh, if you have any questions, you can uh, ask them by uh, unmuting yourself during the class or by writing them as a comment here on Zoom in the chat box or as a comment on Facebook if you're watching us live. And with this, I'll turn this to Rabbi Zukir. Okay, so it's good to good to learn together with everyone again. And um, uh, last time, as uh, some of you will recall, we looked at the uh, the chuvos or some of the some of the chuvos, some of the responsa uh, of Rabbi Kiva Eger um, and uh, his response to uh, to the cholera epidemic, mostly in terms of practical guidance, right? Uh, not not con congregating in too large of a group making sure to be healthy in various ways. Again, some of the health advice is outdated. Um, the, the important work that he did in terms of organizing Staka and trying to support members of the community which who had been in financial straits, um, and especially because if you're in bad health, the disease uh, is even worse for you, or you're more susceptible to it. And uh, that's one, one set of, of uh, things that uh, take place in a... Uh, in a plague that needs to be that needs to be responded to. So we saw um, we saw those materials last week. And one thing one thing uh, uh, that we mentioned but did, didn't uh, didn't look at the text of I, I sent out a short little paragraph by Rabbi Kiva Eger about uh, saying Kaddish that uh, tragically because so many people died in the community at that time they changed the minhag they changed the practice to have instead of Kaddish be uh, said by one person to have multiple people be able to say Kaddish for their deceased relatives. So I think that would hopefully was sent out a bit earlier. And uh, you can look at that. But today, we're going to move back in time. And we're going to move uh, in terms of genre a little bit too. Now, this is still, uh, this is still a chuva. This is still a responsum. Um, but it's going to be, it's less going to be about practical guidance. And it's going to be more, uh, more about theological guidance. So still a, uh, still a chuva, um, still a responsum but a, a different sort of tshuva, a theological, a theological tshuva rather than a, uh, a halachic or practical one. But it's a very interesting, interesting discussion we're going to look at. Or, uh, and um, yeah, again, you should, I think Evie just posted the source sheet so you can open it yourselves. Um, I'm also going to share the screen in case you prefer that, uh, that setup. Um, you can also minimize that if you prefer and want to have a split screen or something like that. Um, so let's, yeah, let's do that. We're going to jump in and we're going to discuss this, uh, this chuva by the Rashbash. The Rashbash has, uh, uh, we'll talk about him a bit quickly before, before getting to the text. The Rashbash, Rav Shlomo ben Shimon uh, Duran, the son of the Rashbat, just to make things complicated. His father was Rav Shimon ben Tzemach, a Rashbat, and then his son was Rav Tzemach. So uh, so uh, a nice a nice line of rabbis there. Um, and actually, the Rashbash's uncle was also a rabbi. They were all a group of rabbis in Algiers, in present-day Algeria, North Africa. And uh, although interestingly, they they came from uh, they came from Europe. The family came from Europe. I think the Rashbats actually came over from Europe. So they had some um, they had uh, they had some European blood, and they were students of. They stemmed from the Ramban, and they were students of the Ran and that whole uh, Sephardic school, and lived in uh, lived in North Africa. Um, the the Rashbash himself, aside from the Chuvos, probably his most well known uh, and extensively cited work, did write some other works as well. He wrote a, a, a work called Milchemes Mitzvah, a uh, obligatory war, where he responded to Christian critiques of the Talmud, and he also wrote. Uh, the Sefer Tikkun Sofrim on Dine Shtaros, the laws of, of Shtaros, uh, wrote that as well, among, among with, uh, along with other things. But again, his chuvos were very extensive. And th this chuvos is, is, you know, again, a little different than the standard chuvos. It's more theological. There is, um, yeah, there is some connection, I think, uh, some familial connection between the Rashbash and the Ralbag, um, Gersonides, the medieval philosopher. And, and biblical commentator, you'll see there's some, there's a little bit of philosophical material. I mean, the question broadly is philosophical, but there seems to be some 
uh, implicit references to Greek philosophy in the text as well, um, which makes sense given the background of, uh, given the Rashbash's background, the family background had some tying into that. Uh, and also in terms of medicine, right, if we're talking about North Africa, um, so uh, uh, presumably the uh, people, the people had access to Arabic translations of, uh, of Greek medical texts. So we'll see a couple times ideas of Greek medicine, let's say Galen's medicine will come up as well. And presumably uh, the Rashbash had access to that through its, uh, its Arabic translation. With all of that introduction, let's jump in and, uh, and read through the tshuva, or I guess if anyone has questions, I'll obviously happy to entertain them now and throughout. Um, if there aren't, then let's just uh, jump right in and read through, uh, read through this tshuva. So first it mentions the, uh, the, the person he's responding to, um, and we'll see a summary of the question. He says, uh, Honain, which is, oh, sorry, yes, I see uh, Judah, thank you for reminding me. Dates of the Rashbash, he lived from 1400 to 1467. So mostly in the first half of the 16th century, uh, sorry, the 15th century. And um, he took over as the rabbi in Algiers from his father um, when his father passed away, I think it was the, the 1440s maybe. So the middle of the 15th century was when he was um, sort of in his full position as the, as the leader of the community there. And um, yeah. So that's, those are his dates. And now let's jump in. We've talked about dates. We'll talk about places now. Uh, Honain is, uh, is a, a different city in the North African coast, uh, about 20 miles away from Algeria. So, you know, he's in the big city. Some, the, uh, the rabbi in the small city sends him a tshuva, uh, sends him a question. So, Od el Achacham, Rav Moshe Cohen el right? Responding again to Rav Moshe Cohen, who was presumably a, a rabbi there. Uh, may God watch him. And here's the question that Rav Moshe Cohen asks. He says, Shalta, you asked, Hanisa Dever, should we run away in a time of plague? Uh, from place to place, in Adam Olo, will that be effective or not? This was a common practice, right? When um, back in the olden days where transportation was different, pandemics or epidemics traveled a lot more slowly than they do today. Because people didn't travel between cities that often. So as soon as someone came to a city, it would take, you know, that would happen whenever it would happen with the disease. You'd see people would start getting it, and it would take a little while before it spread throughout the town. So the question is, what, what some people would do would be to try to run away from the plague, right? You see this city has it. Let me run to a city that doesn't have whatever plague. And it's not explicit what plague we're talking about. Probably this is the Black Plague, the bubonic plague, which in the medieval period was going around the whole world in different waves at different times. Um, so presumably it's that, but, at, you know, it doesn't really make a difference. Whatever the plague would be, does it work to run away? Now, obviously, if you asked a, uh, from a medical point of view, a doctor or, uh, you know, a doctor would say, sure, you know, you're trying to get away from people who are, who, uh, who spread the disease. But our question is theological. So here's the question. If, uh, if, uh, and that doesn't rhyme in Sephardi, even though it sounds nice. Um, but um, right, he says, if on Rosh Hashanah, every year on Rosh Hashanah, God decides whether you're going to make it through the year or not, whether you're going to die or not. So, so what difference does it make if it was decided you're going to die this year? So you're going to die in the plague or maybe other, uh, another way. If it was decided that you won't die this year, then you won't die in the plague. Why should you run away? What difference does it make? If, you were, if it was decided, if you were written in the book of life, that you're going to live through the year, then staying around in a city where the pandemic, where the epidemic is spreading shouldn't hurt you. So it's, uh, you know, either way you go, either you're decided to stay alive or you were decided to die. And uh, it doesn't matter what you do. So why should you, why should you run away? More broadly, we could frame this as a question about uh, what's called ishtadlis, right? It's about trying and making any sort of efforts on one's behalf in terms of life and death issues, right? Should you go to a doctor if you get sick? That would seem to be the same question, right? Let's say you're sick. Well, either I'm going to die this year or I won't. That was decided in Rosh Hashanah. Maybe I can do tshuva. Who knows? Maybe we can change. But if it was decided I'm going to die, so I'm going to die. Why, why does going to a doctor help? And if it was decided that I'm going to live, then also, I'm going to live. Why should going to a doctor help? So this, this is the question. And um, right again, so apply that to our reality. Should I follow the, uh, the health recommendations? Or maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe if, I, if it's already been decided if I'm going to live or die. Maybe I shouldn't uh, social distance or get vaccinated or uh, what, what have you. Whatever, the, uh, whatever regulations there are, whatever recommendations there are about health. Or shouldn't go to the hospital if I'm sick. 
why should I keep any of these things? It doesn't matter if I'm, I was decided, I was written in the book of life. It was decided I'm going to live, then I'm going to live. If it was decided I'm going to die, I'm going to die. That is Rav Moshe HaKohen's question um, that the Rashbash is going to respond to. So he says, Shuva, here's the response. Kol adam Every person has a set amount, a set time of how long their life will be, right? Any person you can, I guess, go up in the heavenly register and it'll say, right, person A, they will die on, uh, in March of 2046 or whatever it is. Every person has their date. The Dumber is at Kasuva Torah, as Mispariah Mechamale. Torah says, sort of a different context, but this is how he's understanding it. I will count your days, meaning everyone has a certain number of days. And after that, your, your time is up, and then you die. So that says that in the Torah, Shanu Ibn It's repeated in Navi, right? I'm going to give you extra life. I'm going to add to your days. But before I added to your days, you had a certain number of days, and then you were going to die. Meshulash Bixuvim, repeated again in Suvim, Hodien Hashem Kitsi Hashem, tell me my end, tell me my time. So we see it's it's clear a person has a certain amount of time that they're going to live. Says once you reach your time, uh, right? The time you're supposed to you're supposed to die. Everyone is moshable. Everyone controls you. You have no. You can't really. Uh, right, I think it says there. I, I didn't look this up. But I think it says they're like dogs stopping or, or animals stopping afraid of you. You just you have no. You have no uh, no no power no uh, no position and, and you're just gonna uh, you're, anyone can take advantage of you because your time is up you're gonna die um, so we see Chazal also had this idea you have a certain amount of time and then then time's up this is repeated and scientists also agree so this is this is unanimous. Right, Torah Vim Suvim Chazal and the scientists. What's the scientist's explanation for this? Two possible causes uh, on the science. And again, 15th century science is not the same as today's science. But um, two reasons, either heavenly reasons, meaning your your mazel, your uh, right, your uh, uh, your astrology will determine when you're gonna die. That's just determine the stars to decide when you're gonna live and die. Or harkava, your makeup, your bodily makeup will determine when you live or die. Meaning, I mean, this I think is more or less true nowadays. You can go to a you can go to a doctor, and a doctor will say, well, given your current health, etc., your family history, you you know, there's the expectation that you will live 83 years, right? That doctors can do that today with some degree of uh, wiggle room, but they can estimate it, right? The whole the whole field of uh, of health insurance is based on on people estimating how long people. Uh, will 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 live and how well they'll be. So this is science. Science agrees. People have a set amount of time. So kolumas, uh, and he spells it out a bit more. Kolumas shehalachus hasharshi ve'achom ativi ve'ofen aroy yarchuichne adam. The more the more uh, of the um, moisture, the rooted moisture and the natural heat that you have properly, the longer you'll live. ma'atim. If you have, don't have enough, or echad yarbe, or you have an imbalance. Oshe Yimait, or right, imbalance more or less, who ha'acher yamav. And if you if if it's not balanced, your life will be shortened. This sounds like um, you know, I, I don't uh, no, don't fully know the details of this, but this sounds a lot like the theory of four humors, Galen's theory of the four humors. Um, right, black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, whatever else. Those you need to have the right balance between them, or else you're gonna you're gonna be in bad health and then ultimately die. So write this, whatever, however the science is understood, that's how right, your, your, your body has a certain time to it. And if the things, if there's imbalance, there's not enough moisture in your body, then you're going to be in trouble. Right, the more or less you have, the longer or shorter you'll live. Right, so this, the, the scientists and the rabbis and the Tanakh agree. It's all set how long you're going to live. No doubt about it. No reason to, to second guess this. There, that's, the, that's the way the world works. There's a certain amount of time people are going to live. Now, here's a caveat, right? There is a certain amount of time that you have, but the Torah tells us that that can be modified. You can get more time in your life or less time. You can add or subtract time on earth 
depending on your actions. If you if you keep the Torah, you'll live longer. If you don't keep the Torah, you'll live shorter than you would have otherwise. Right, you'll, you'll live and inherit the land. You'll live and multiply. Your days will be increased. This appears all over the Torah, a lot in Sefer Tvarim, actually. And um, that's what God's promise is. If you follow the Torah, you'll live longer. One thing that's interesting is often Chazal interpret these lines as not talking about physical life in this world, but as talking about um, as talking about living in the world to come, Olam Haba, which whether or not the Rashbash uh, accepts those interpretations, he also interprets this passage in the context of, um, in its literal meaning, in its literal meaning of, of living on earth. And of course, you can lose life, right? Just like you can gain more life by keeping the Torah, you can also lose life if you, uh, if you do averos that lead to death by the hands of heaven. or uh, Krisos, getting kares, you get cut off. Some of the interpretations of kares mean you die uh, 10 years early, you die before your time. So you can add, you can subtract, but there is a baseline of how long you're going to live. Depending on how you keep the Torah, that can get added to or subtracted from. Now we also know there's a special day in the calendar, a uh, special day in the calendar known as Rosh Hashanah, um, which uh, where where people uh, where there's judgment, Yadin Amim, God judges nations to add or subtract if there's if there's if they have merit. So this is more of a global judgment. It's not necessarily judging the individual. It's more of a global judgment to add or subtract days if a person has merit. Year of God increases days. Right. The Gemara is actually for those who do the daf. Uh, I think it's uh, Yom Adaf Tes, came up not too long ago, that uh, fear of God increases knowledge. That refers to the priests, the Kohanim, the Kohanim Gedolim of the first base HaMikdash. They were righteous. They lived long lives. There was only a very small number of them over the hundreds of years of the base HaMikdash. The Yitzar Yamav, and that's the end of the Pasuk, right? If you, if you don't follow God, then your life gets shortened. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, and God, he, uh, this is the Rosh Hashanah. God can shorten your days. If you have an avera that 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 uh, demands it, that's the end of the pasuk. Right in the second base of mikdash, the kohanim were were shayim, they were evil, and the gemara says in the 420 years of the second base of mikdash, there were over 300 kohanim gedolim. There were a very small number who lived for who were kohen for dozens of years, and then the rest were basically all kohen for a year, and then they died. Why? Because they were sinners. So, but the, right, the whole idea here is um, you can die before your time. That's what these Rishayim got, or you can live longer than your time. But the point is, the, there is a baseline expected uh, life expectancy, right? There's a life expectancy every person has. You can then add to or subtract from it, um, but the life expectancy is there. And notice, we'll, we'll explain this more explicitly in a bit, but he says Rosh Hashanah is not really a day for judging how long a person lives, it may judge nations. It may judge a, on a national level and decide how long a, a nation goes for, but it doesn't usually decide how long a person lives. We'll, we'll get back to that. Okay, so let's apply this now. Al-Kain, Ani Omer, the Pikotzer Sifli. Therefore, I say, according to my limited intellect, right? This is a classic uh, rabbinic humility formulation. But here's what I say. If someone doesn't have a sin, that uh, would cause them to deserve to die or shorten their life, mea iker, compared to what the baseline was. He ends up living the amount of time he was expected to live. You don't get judged for good or bad, death or life. You just continue along the, the, the expected date. So if the date was 2046, so you're going to die in 2046. This is death without sin, meaning, and he's going to quote the Gemara about this, he says we, we accept the view that one can die without having sin, meaning without any extra sin. Obviously, just about everyone sins. The point is, you have a baseline day you're going to die, even if you don't make it happen earlier through sin. We say the Gemara says, it's but one of the views is there's no death without sin. This is not, this is not uh, the convention. This is not fully agreed upon. Ramban talks about this in his philosophical work um, about how um, and we don't accept that. We believe there, there, uh, um, there can be death without sin. 
Um, uh, uh, Chaya, great question. We'll get to that in a few minutes. He talks about accidents and that ties in as well. Right? Here's a proof. I'll show you how we know that Rosh Hashanah, you don't get decided whether you're going to die or not in advance. But the Torah says when, when going out to war, they would call out, they would say, who's, you know, who just started something, just started a marriage, a house, a vineyard, where it would be particularly tragic if they died now, they should go home. Or who's scared? They should go home. Um, in those cases, um, it's the Torah says they should go home. We wouldn't want this person to die, so they should go home. Now, Iki, what you're saying is true, Rav Moshe, that he's responding to. If you're saying what you're saying is true, that people, uh, it's determined whether people live or die on Rosh Hashanah, then we shouldn't be worried, right? We're saying, oh, don't go to war because it would be particularly tragic if you died. What do you mean? It's already decided on Rosh Hashanah whether he's going to die or not. Obviously, it's not fully decided on Rosh Hashanah whether you die or not, right? If it was already decided you're going to die by sword, you can die by sword at home too, uh, right? It's in a kitchen accident. I don't know. And if it's decided you're going to live this year, even if you go to war and you fall on your, your, uh, your military instruments, you fall in the field, you still won't die because it was decided. So obviously, it's not fully decided whether you're going to live or die beforehand. And Question, I see the question, Judith, about babies and children. We'll get to that as well. He mentions different things about, uh, about children. Um, fine. So the Pasuk here says this person is going to die one way or another. In several possibilities, right? God will strike him, or his day will come, or he'll die in war. So he's going to spell out what these each mean. His day may come, meaning... It may, you know, it may be that this is the year he dies, and then he'll die. Hashem yigafenu, or God will strike him down because he sinned, and God punishes him. But there's a third category of death. But this is the first time he's saying this. Until now, we were saying there's two ways a person can die. Either they reach their life expectancy date, and then their life ends. That's it. Or you can make that, you can shift that date a bit earlier, a bit later, and if you keep the Torah or you sin. Now he's saying there's a third category. Sometimes your death will be determined not by the life expectancy alone and not by sin, uh, right? Doing uh, some uh, extensive sinning or keeping the Torah in an extreme way that would shift your date. No, it's a different way, which is Misa Mikris, accidental death. There is a category of accidental death, right? So, Chaya, now we're starting to get to your point. Um, as some of the philosophers believe, um, uh, and I assume he means Jewish philosophers here. My father wrote this too. He makes this point that people can die accidentally. Everyone agrees that there's a baseline date that you die. Um, beyond that, some, some Jewish philosophers, and we're going to see the Rashbash himself seems to take this view, think that there can be accidental deaths, even before your time, if you're not careful. And we're going to get into detail about that. Begami Amram. The, the Gemara says, if you are righteous, we add. If you're not righteous, we, we sort of complete your time early. This all points to the idea you have a baseline life expectancy. You can increase, you can decrease, but that's fine. That's what it is. But you, uh, you wanted to say it has to do with Rosh Hashanah. That's wrong. He's going to spell that out now. This baseline of when you're going to live until doesn't tie in to Rosh Hashanah. This will tie into all sorts of other things, um, of things like bane mazone, uh, having children and food, which Gemara says actually is tied to mazel. Um, Brios, v'choli, health and sickness, it ties into that. Asher, lo nichnas biomadin, So what gets decided on Rosh Hashanah is all of these things, all of these circumstances of your life, not life and death. How do we know this? Asher, lo nichnas biomadin, And now we get back to our original point. The fact that Rosh Hashanah, it's not decided absolutely whether you'll live or die. Again, there still is a baseline date, but it's not absolute. And Rosh Hashanah doesn't decide whether you'll live or die. It just decides these other things. Will you have children? Will you have food? Will you be healthy? 
but not whether you live or die, given that there's that that it's not deciding that absolutely necessarily, it remains Bichokhaefshar. It remains in the realm of possibility. Meaning you have your Kate's cuts, if you have your expected uh, expected uh, you have your life expectancy until 2046 or whatever the date is. Before that point, though, there still is a realm of possibility. You might still die earlier. How, for example, in a plague, Mises Magefa or Mises Mochama in war, as we saw, the war has a very good proof. The Torah seems to clearly say that uh, whether a person dies or not is contingent, and that's why they should go home. Um, or a natural death through um, uh, comporting yourself not well. And when he says hanhaga, how you act, he means how you act medically. Whether you take care of yourself medically or not, that can determine you can die early if you are just really irresponsible medically. You can die before your expected date. And now he's going to spell this out. That's why, that's why the wise man, uh, I think Shlomo uh, said, some people die before their time. You can die before your time, not only for sinning. Also, if you don't, if you take risks or if you're not healthy, uh, you can, right, by choice, you can die earlier. There's a story, um, very interesting story in the Gemara, where Bibi Barabaye is given a vision. He sort of hangs out with the Malachamavis for a day. Right? It's take, take your favorite human to work day uh, in the Malachamavis' office. And he takes her Bibi Barabaye to work and, he's, and he says, like, oh, show me how you do your thing. Like, how does this work? He says, okay, uh, bring me uh, Miriam. And I, I'm killing Miriam today. Bring me Miriam. Uh, apologies to all Miriams, although it seems like we don't have any here, so that's good. And uh, he accidentally picked the wrong Miriam. So he, he, instead of Miriam the hairdresser, he got Miriam the school teacher. And Samachamavis said, Oh, this wasn't the right Miriam, but you know what? Um, she's doing something a little dangerous today, and uh, we'll take this Miriam too. So in the end, both Miriams died. So we see from that Gemara that there is a certain amount of contingency here, right? It's not this, this other Miriam, it wasn't her date to die. The Mal- she wasn't on the Malachamavis' list. And yet, um, because of uh, circumstance, both the fact that Rabbi Rabbi accidentally you know, pointed her out and that she was doing something dangerous, she ended up dying. So we see that there is some degree to which people can die accidentally or against, you know, even though it's not their set time. Right, let's say it's not your date yet to die. And let's say you weren't uh, decided to be... Uh, uh, right, you weren't decided to have good health on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, maybe you it was decided you'd have bad health. Not that you would die per se, but just you'd have bad health. In Pashubatman, if you're then irresponsible medically, you'll get sick, and that can get worse. Story there, you have a you have Shutfim, you have partners in a business venture. In the olden days, in business ventures, um, the most important capital of the business venture was the people, the human capital, right? So you have a couple of workers, one of them gets sick. So what do you do? Who pays for the health care? Does he pay himself out of pocket or does his employer slash his shutfus pay for it? And Vamrina Labigmara, Lo Shanu El Shechala Bipshia. The Gemara says, you need to pay Michel Atzma. You pay for your own health care. Why? You're, you're, aren't you needed as an asset to your uh, jointly owned company? And it says, well, you only pay out of pocket if if you got sick out of being irresponsible. What does that mean? So it's going to explain. What does it mean to be irresponsible and get sick? There's two different lines about this in the Gemara. What's, every, what's in the hands of heaven? Everything's in the hands of heaven except for one thing, or really two things in the Gemara. One is Tzinim Pachim. Tzinim Pachim is understood to mean Hot and cold. Um, and uh, it says hot and cold in the way of the crooked. What does that mean? That means you can, oh, well, he's going to explain. We'll continue reading until he'll spell this out. Also, we say a person shouldn't stand in a dangerous place, right? Don't stand on the edge of a cliff. Um, don't, don't enter a war zone. Um, Everything's in the hands of heaven except for fear of God. So um, different ways of understanding this, but some say everything's in the hands of heaven except for except for uh, fear of God. And sinim pachim that means that there's a way in which sinim pachim, which we're going to talk about, basically means medical uh, 
following best medical practices is part of your shemaim. It's part of your spiritual effort is to follow the medical recommendations. He spells this out in a second. But sinim pachim hold hot you get sick from standing out in the cold for too long. Oh, sorry, standing out in the sun for too long or standing out in the cold for too long. And you can get sick. And uh, that's seen in Pachim. So means everything's in the hands of heaven. God decides how long you're going to live unless seen in Pachim, unless you, you do something that's actually unsafe, then you can die sooner. You can get sick and die sooner. So these are the three types of death which I think he means, sinim, pachim, and makam sakana. If you put yourself in an overly hot place in a way that's unhealthy, right, you can get dehydrated, I don't know, or an overly cold place, you get hypothermia, um, or you catch a cold, if that's how that works. Um, and the third, the third is makam sakana, a dangerous place generally. So first of all, in each of these cases, going back to our story with the shutfim, with the partnership, um, you, you forfeit your right to uh, employer health care. If you made yourself sick due to pshia, you, you have to pay for your own health care out of pocket rather than having the shutfas pay for it because it's your fault you got sick. You, were, you did something medically irresponsible. Um, but more, more importantly for our purposes, this establishes that there is such a thing as uh, making yourself sick beyond bidei shamayim, right? Everything's in God's hands except for making yourself sick. So that means even if you were going to set to die in 2046, if you do something medically irresponsible, and get sick, you can die earlier because that's this is a religious principle, right? You can make your death happen sooner. Okay. Um, and uh, first of all, let's pause now. Are any questions or thoughts on what we've seen so far? Some interesting uh, theological reflections here. Um, yeah, but any any questions or thoughts or reflections? Yeah, Judith. Back to my question, since all of this. The babies. We're going to get to the babies. The next paragraph is about babies. Can we? Okay. All right. Because they, you're here. There's an assumption that the person has some kind of agency, some kind of decision-making process, choices to make, um, whether to stay healthy or not, or do the right things or to follow mitzvah. But that's why I turned to babies. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. So. So definitely, right, at, right, let's just repeat the theory just to, uh, to situate ourselves, right? So the basic theory is every person has a date, has a, uh, a uh, life expectancy date when they are expected to die, whether that's based on theology or medicine or some combination, that doesn't matter for his purposes, right? Rosh says that everyone agrees on that. And Jewish tradition says you can make your, your date come, uh, become earlier, you can die sooner or die later, depending on how you keep the Torah. That's agency, right, Judith? And also, um, another way of hastening your death is being medically irresponsible, right? You can also die sooner by being medically irresponsible. Now he's going to say, what about babies? Let's talk about why do babies die, right? This is a, a philosophical problem many have dealt with, part of the problem of evil, right? Why do, why do bad things happen, including death or suffering? Why do these things happen? And one answer is, well, people sin, so they die. That's really what the Gemara is about. We mentioned before, Misa Belochei, right? If you sin, uh, you die. And if you don't sin, you don't die. There's a view like that in the Gemara. Um, and um, certainly the case of, of children who are not responsible uh, halakhically for their actions. So, um, so how could a child ever die if in misa blochet? If there's no death without sinning, how should children ever die? So we're going to talk about all this now. This will solve the problems. What we've said until this point of this three-part theory, people have an expected life, uh, life expectancy date, plus they can push it up or back based on keeping the Torah, plus they can push up their date of death based on being medically responsible. This will solve all the problems. Here are some problems. Why do small children die? Now, one answer you might give, well, they die on account of their father's sins. But let's say they don't, they, their father is already dead. Let's say there's no father, and then a young child dies. You can't even say it's on account of their father. That itself is a question, right? We're not even going to get into that question. But they only have a father. So how can what on what basis are they dying? On right, so this will solve that problem. Let's say someone dies at the age of 13 and a half. So um, right, and the Rosh Hashanah was a bit a couple months before. They were not yet bar mitzvah at Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah happened, they weren't bar mitzvah, they weren't judged. Then they died. But I thought it's decided whether you die on Rosh Hashanah. But Rosh Hashanah didn't happen yet when he was an adult. So how could he die? Um, and then this seems to be a, a, a textual uh, error of some sort. 
Um, of the Shinnon Yud, but then continuing, Ke'elu Shemesu Beroa Hanagasam, O Shekitsam Hayakatsar, Lufi Mezeg Harkavasam, O Lufi Mezeg Shinoldubo. So I'll solve these two problems, right? How do children die? And especially children don't have a father, you can't even blame their father's sin. And how can a 13 and a half year old die if he didn't have a Rosh Hashanah to be judged? The answer is you can die just of natural causes. There just are some people. This person was born, this child was born with uh, the life expectancy of six years. It's tragic. You have to explain why that happened, but that's a different question. In terms of our question of um, how, you know, when this person gets judged, how, how the metaphysics of it work out, how God could judge them to death, the answer is God does not judge them to death. They were born with a life expectancy of six years or 13 and a half years or whatever the case may be. There was no judgment on Rosh Hashanah for them to die. So those problems fall away. Right? If you assume that uh, children die in account of their father's sins, how come someone with multiple children and one of their children dies, but not the other ones? You can say, well, this one died because of the father's sin, but what about that one? How does that make sense? Again, maybe the child died not because of his father's sin, not because of anyone's sin. It's just they were born with this life expectancy of only six years. Again, it's tragic, but the question of when did God decide they would die? If there's no Rosh Hashanah, there's no father responsible, or why this kid and not that kid, those questions are resolved. Maybe even if the father deserved the son should die, or child should die, um, maybe he only deserved one son, should, one child should die, and that's why it was this one. He says, or maybe uh, it's like you right so the father was punished one of his two kids died as opposed to both that's how you would solve that problem right but here's a problem right so if you have this theory that rosh hashanah people aren't judged for life or death on rosh hashanah so why do we say and we have this in our davening actually why do we say in Rosh Hashanah, it's decided which nations will live and die? So, not the Nusana Tokef, which I don't know if the Rosh Hashanah had Nusana Tokef in his sitter, um, but a different, a different prayer he's putting in Gemara. Rav's kios, Rav's prayer along with the kios. We have this in our, uh, I think, Chazar Sashats of Musaf. Um, yeah, I think it's in the Chazar Sashats of Musaf on Rosh Hashanah, that they will be decided. Who's, uh, who falls to the sword and who stays in peace at Alamedinos, right, about the nations. That sounds like a national, a decision about, uh, about countries, about nations, and who lives and who dies. The, the answer to that is, yes, it's true, that God on Rosh Hashanah will decide this nation will have major losses, right? Um, in this country, 500,000 people will die due to a pandemic, right? God does decide those things on Rosh Hashanah, but that's true on a, on a national level, but not an individual level. You, an individual, aren't necessarily going to be part of that group. You might be, you might not be. It depends on all sorts of things. One of the things it depends on is whether you run away from the pandemic or not. Right? If it's decided there's going to be a plague and X people are going to die, or there's going to be a war and X people are going to die, if you run away, you will not be part of the national destiny of those many people, that many people dying in the war. So this is another way, right? The, the, the fact that Rosh Hashanah decides that on, on a national level, there'll be a certain number of deaths doesn't mean you can't avoid that fate by taking proper medical precautions and running away. This is the word hanhaga we had before, how you comport yourself. So the way you act medically also will determine um, whether you live or die, potentially. Keeping your health, avoiding disease. Right, the Gemara says in a couple of places, the, it says, he shall surely heal, heal him, or something like that. This shows there's permission for doctors to heal. Right, you might have said, if you take the question, the question here, the Shaila here of Rav Moshe Cohen to its logical extreme, God decides when people are going to live or die. Therefore, the entire medical profession is illegitimate. How can you try to heal someone? God decided on Rosh Hashanah if they're going to live or die. It should be us to heal people. 
right? Who are you to, to, to play God and, and, and try to save someone's life? If they're supposed to die, they should die. If they're going to be saved, God will save them anyway. That's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara says, that it is legitimate, fully legitimate for doctors to save, which is a good thing. Otherwise, all those Jewish doctors would be against the Gemara, right? So this worked out well. But the point is, the point is that proper medical guidance can help you avoid something like uh, a national disaster, including a national plague that's supposed to affect, affect your country. You can avoid that if you take the precautions properly. Um, now, he raises a question. Fascinating mission that talks about how Chizkiyahu hid a book of, of uh, Rufuos, a book of uh, uh, medical remedies. And the Chachamim uh, uh, thanked him. They appreciated it. It was a good thing that he hid this book of remedies. Why would it be good to hide a medical textbook? Um, so he says, uh, uh, Sorry, he, um, he says, Brachos. It's not a problem. Why? The Rambam explains it there. In short, the Rambam says um, that, that there are certain medical treatments that are actually prohibited, that they're based on black magic or something like that. He uses the word talisman, which I assume is talisman, right? Some sort of talismanic healing that apparently works, although the Rambam elsewhere seems to think it doesn't work. So you'd have to resolve those Rambams. But leaving that aside, there are, some, there are some medical procedures that might actually work, but are prohibited because they involve, you know, black magic or something like that, involve Odazara. So Chizkiyo had a book of these prohibited resolutions because it's permitted to study these uh, healing practices, even if it's prohibited to do them. And then the Chachamim said, let's hide this because people might do it. And that, that would be us, sir. So let's hide it. So that was good. But what's not good is hiding actual medical guidance that's permitted or taken, such as, you know, all non-talismanic medicine like Western medicine or, you know, medieval, uh, medieval uh, uh, Greek medicine, um, whatever, whatever your medical system is, assuming it works, uh, you should definitely participate in it. And he says, why? As long as it hasn't been determined that you will definitely die, some people are decided they'll die. It's their time or they sin and they're going to die and that's it. If it's not the case, if that's not the case, if you're in the realm of it's not your time yet, you still might die. But if you keep proper medical uh, procedures, if you follow the medical guidance, then you won't die. So that's exactly what, what comes into play in, a, in an epidemic. Um, and, and now he's going to show all these Gemaras where people actually did this, where people follow the guidelines. Guarding yourself running away from a plague can work to save your life. Right, there's a, a plague in the city, bring your feet in, meaning stay home, right? Don't go out, don't expose yourself to other people who have the plague, because you might die. Rava, in a time of disease, would close, would block up the windows to not let in the bad air. If there's a plague, don't go in the middle of the road. And don't go to shul alone. Right, think about it. If it's decided on Rosh Hashanah, whether you're going to live or die this year, it shouldn't matter whether you take these precautions. But the fact that the Gemara talks about all these precautions to take during a plague, that implies that you actually can determine whether you live or die by taking the necessary precautions, which he understands as medical precautions here. Uh, we'll see later on in the piece if we get to it. He'll uh, clarify one point. Um, fine, right? He says, If you say, like the questioner said, that everything's aside on Rosh Hashanah, right? There's no realm of possibility. It's all decided. Either you're going to die or you won't die. It doesn't matter whether you take safety precautions or not. So why does the Gemara mention them? It must be that there is this realm of the possible where you can possibly defer your death or not, depending on how you act. Um, right, right, because either you're, you're going to die and then you die, or you're going to live and then you're going to live. Must be that's not true. Right, otherwise, there's no third possibility. You're either going to die or live. There's no excluded middle. There's no third possibility. Um, it must be that's wrong. It must be that ideology is wrong. You don't actually absolutely decide on Rosh Hashanah if a person is going to die or live. 
there's a certain realm of possibility. And then whether you take precautions or not will make a difference. That's why the Chazal, the rabbi said to guard yourself from a plague. The Ran, the famous Ran, the Rishon, ran away from plagues. He ran twice or maybe several times, ran away from plagues. So we see you're supposed to do that. Right, this is realm of the possible. Maybe Rosh Hashanah, you weren't determined either way, right? And and you may or may not die depending on how you act. Right. So if you go outside, you get exposed to the air. The air is bad, right? Generally, in a pre-modern period, people assume that plagues uh, came from bad air, right? So I think I mentioned this last week, right? The uh, the term malaria means bad air. Um, and uh, so if you go outside, you're exposing yourself to the bad air, which is not so different from exposing yourself to, uh, to a virus or whatnot when, when near other people. And um, fine, so that's the worry. And that would increase your temperature and make you get sick, right? Basically how it works. You, uh, many of these diseases involve temperature. If you can improve the quality of the air somehow or run away, running away works. And don't, this isn't, uh, this it doesn't run into a problem with the Gemara of Rav Krispidai saying, there's three books open on Rosh Right. Don't don't ask. And I'm sure some of you in the backyards are probably thinking this. Don't we say in Rosh Hashanah there's like the book of those who will live and the book of those who will die, and what's that talking about? And the answer is that's talking about people who want to shift uh, away from the baseline. Right. So you have your baseline. You're going to live till 2046 or whatever other year. If you're if you do extra super well on Rosh Hashanah, God may bump you up or uh, bump you up a couple of years. If you do super bad. God may pull you back a couple of years, you know, so 2046 instead becomes 2048 or 2044 or whatever it is, but it doesn't, God doesn't determine what's going to happen this year per se. All that happens is you may shift the baseline. And then there's a third category of the Bainanim, of the people who aren't decided one way or the other. And that means they just, they keep going with their original date, their original life expectancy. And there's a certain amount of contingency around that, right? If your year is 2046, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed to live till 2046. It means all things equal, you live till 2046, but if you take risks, and you're taking risks, you're taking your life into your own hands. Right, I resolved all the issues. This all seems fine according to my limited knowledge. I think we're good, right? I've solved, solved the problem. Um, fine, so uh, we'll pause for questions if there are more questions now. Um, and after that, we'll go into the, uh, the final stretch. Any questions, comments, thoughts? Okay, so let's let's keep going. The Abubishar of Asher of Shalom, Lunel. So this is Kasa Besefra Minhagos, the Sefra Minhagos, where he weighs in on our issue and what happens in Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah Nechtavim Lachayim, Osin Jetrichim Tosefes Yamim, Osin Shelo Yigia Dain Kitzam. But he says, people, it's decided on Rosh Hashanah whether you'll make it through the year or not. The exact opposite of what the Rosh Bash has been saying. So how does he respond to this? He says, Lonis Chavrudzvar of Chutzmik Vodo, right? Uh, all due, all due respect, that's not clear. Meaning, all due respect, that's wrong. Why? Right, according to this view of Rav Asher Rishal, God looks at your actions, weighs your mitzvot, and says, do you deserve to live another year? Okay, I'll, I'll spend, spend your, your good deeds. I'll give you credit towards living another year. But the Rashbash says, that doesn't make sense. The person already coming in has a set time of when they're going to live until. Right, so you don't need to waste your good deeds on on living. If you're if you're set to live till 2046, you don't need to waste your good deeds to live longer. You already are. You already are going to live through the year. So why is God wasting your good your mitzvos on credit for living longer on Rosh Hashanah? So that's why he doesn't like this approach. The kamahila abe mitzvos of Rosh Hashanah. Right, it's like it's like vengeful. It's just wasteful, and it's uh it's uh, malicious. Amy dasu yisbarach kach lemayit mitzvos briosav lefazran Just the waste, and God wouldn't do that. God tries to go out his way to help people, even if they don't fully deserve it. 
It's clear to me, for those who have a, want to look at it with an honest eye, this is how it is. Here's a parable he gives. Right, king's province rebels against him, and there's a lot of rebels and a few people who are loyalists. And a few people who are neither here nor there. Right, so there's a few loyalists, a few people who don't have strong views, and a lot of rebels. The king lays siege and conquers the country. So the king says, I'm going to kill all the rebels, and I'm going to save my loyal, my loyal servants. But what about the rest of the group? What about the, uh, the neither here nor there? Right, so some of the rebels ran away, and the king found them and killed them anyways. Even though they ran away, they still died, right? Uh, and his, his loyalists he saved, even though they didn't go anywhere. Um, so what about the, the middle group, the non-rebels, non-loyalists, the people, the default people, just, you know, see where the wind blows types. If they ran away, they, they escaped. If they stayed, though, oh, sorry, if they went outside during the war, right, they went into the battlefield, they're going to get killed because it's a dangerous place. And the king isn't going to say, oh, yes, this is a loyalist. This is some random person. I don't know them. So kill them. That's that's the mushal. That's the parable. This is the same. Those those uh, servants of God who were decided to live on Rosh Hashanah, they're saved. Meaning, even if you were set to die this year, you get an extension if you serve God. If you have extra mitzvahs, you can get your 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 death date deferred. And if there's a plague and people are sinners, they're not going to be saved from the plague. They'll die. But a lot of people do run away from a plague. When they die, where they ran away, they'll come back after the plague and die. The reason why that happens is these people, these are the rebels. These people were already decided to die. And that's why they die regardless of running away. That doesn't mean that someone who's not deserving to die can't successfully run away and save their life. Right? And that's what he's going to say now. If you're in that default category, you don't have a bonus of deferring your death, and you don't have the penalty of dying right away. So, you're not a super sinner. You're not a super righteous person. You're an average person. It's not yet your date of death. You're in Choka Afshar. You're in the realm of possibility. You might still die, just given what's going on in the world. If you keep your practices right, meaning if you if you follow the medically recommended uh, activities, oh, Baruch, or you run away from the, the plague, then you'll be saved. If you stay, though, and you don't act uh, with safety precautions, then you'll die, or you might die at least. Well, in Nemar, that's what the Gemara says, or the Pasuk, the Gemara interprets, hide for a moment, until the anger, until the plague subsides, you should hide, because it's, it's a high-risk time. And you know, your average person who's neither a big tzaddik nor a big Russia, nor has their death imminent, the average person can die in those circumstances. So you better be careful. Um, Pazik says, you know, God says, I'm going to punish you. There's going to be a plague. And the tzaddik and the Russia are going to die. Both the righteous and the non-righteous are going to die. How does that work? Well, the Russia dies because the Russia deserves to die. But the tzaddik dies because tzaddik here just means not, not the particularly righteous, just sort of a default, a default person. He's you know, not a sinner. So why does he die? He dies because he didn't take the precautions. And that's why you need to take precautions in the case of plague. God should save us from errors. Now that does rhyme. Right? I said before, it didn't rhyme. This rhyme. Right? God should save us from errors. And show us from the Torah. Uh, wonders, and uh, do us good, uh, good signs. And how do I know he intentionally set this up to rhyme, other than the fact that it rhymes, is he switched the words in the passage. It's really that he inverts for the rhyme, for the rhyme scheme. This was the end of the original tshuva, and then he adds on, he adds on something later. So he wanted to end with a little poetry, um, but uh, now it continues, the little postscript. Um, which we'll run through quickly. We've gone until this point. 
Let me clarify something I said earlier from the Gemara. Rabba would earlier said Rabba, now he says Rabba would close the windows when there's plague. Death came in our windows. Perush, so how does that help to close your windows? Perush, Rabba, Rabba agreed with the doctors. If air goes in the windows, that's a thinner air. And that air can penetrate your organs and hurt you. Again, I think this is some uh, early science that uh, we don't accept today. But fine, but that was the thought. Nowadays, you might say something like, I don't know, people passing by might uh, spread germs through the window. Right? If it's, if it's a plague, don't walk in the middle of the road. Why? What does it mean um, that in a normal circumstances, don't go on the side of the road, and in plague, don't go in the middle of the road? It's a metaphor. It's not literal. I think most of us would have thought, oh, it's literal. Don't go in the middle of the road during a plague because you'll catch it from someone. No, it's a metaphor. It means in normal times, you should have a... Um, have a middle a middle path, the golden mean, the the way of moderation, in all things, in all in all things, uh, in terms of health, meaning, in terms of what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, how much you sleep, when you wake up, um, how you fill and empty your bladder, how you wash yourself, um, how much air you should expose yourself to, how much you should move, how much you should rest, how much you should move your spirit, all these things, you should take a middle path, under normal circumstances. And, and right, and what does it mean? You're move, moving your spirit. Right. So, in terms of spirit, you know, spiritually, you should be how happy, how sad, how angry. Um, you should be. That should be moderate. Moderation is always the key in normal times. And the same with everything else that relates to your health. That's in normal times. During a plague, you need to go to the extreme. Extreme care must be taken during a plague. Do not follow the usual advice of moderation under normal circumstances. And this um, fits with uh, Greek philosophy and medicine. And the Rambam actually says something similar in a general sense, that your midos, your character traits, should always be the middle, the golden mean following Aristotle on that. And, uh, but if someone is, is to one extreme, let's say someone is, uh, I don't know, extremely spendthrift, never wants to spend money at all, you may need to correct that by going to the opposite extreme and spending money right and left, maybe on stucca, to, to correct that that and to return to a place of moderation. The same thing here. If there's a plague, high risk. So you correct that by being extremely safe, and hopefully that will return you to the right to the right place. So that's the that's what it means. Don't go on the middle of the road when it's a plague. Don't go on the side of the road during regular times. It means to focus on uh, on uh, on moderation normally, but in a plague to take an extreme uh, care approach. Um, fine. Right, so we'll spell it out. During a plague, extreme care. Always clean yourself out and minimize your eating. That's interesting because, right, with Rav Kivager last week, he said that you should make sure to eat because not eating makes you sick. Here he's saying um, eating too much is, is dangerous. Eat high quality, low quantity foods. Again, I'm not signing on to this, but this is his understanding of the science. Rest more, uh, be tired, make sure you're less tired. Uh, make, make sure you have a lot of good rest. Don't be too depressed. Make sure to be happy. That Rafael said something very similar. one extreme. Moderation will not work for you during a plague. Right? Don't always go to one extreme during a plague. And this is based on nature. This is based on medicine. This will naturally make you better. I know we're at uh, two o'clock. We'll just take a couple more minutes to go through and take questions. Uh, and then we'll call it a day. Umasha Amru, This is gonna be fascinating, right? We had this, we saw this more earlier. He quoted, it says, during a plague, don't go to shul alone. Why not? This is an intense image, right? The angel of death keeps his weapons in the shul. Wow. Okay, so don't go to shul uh, alone during a plague. 
That's true as long as there's no children learning in the shul and there's no minion davening in the shul. If there is a child learning or a minion davening, then you can go to the shul. No need to worry about the, the Ahmad. So the Gemara says this. You might read this as saying uh, something shadim, uh, something you know, cabalistic, not science, but something something more mystical. The Rashbash, not not from the big mystics, says that is not what it means. What what this means is not mysticism. Instead, who in Torani? It's a Torah category, it's a Torah concept, not a mystical one, but a halachic concept. We'll see in a second. A shul without children learning in it, or a base mentor without children learning in it, deserves punishment. Why is no one in the learning? Because of the sin of not learning Torah, children die. Right, uh, hitting your children for nothingness. They didn't take. Uh, they didn't take the uh, moral. Uh, they didn't learn the proper moral. The, the world is upheld by the breath of the Torah words of children. The school without a minion, davening, deserves punishment. Hashem, as it were, comes to the shul, sees there's no minion there, no one's davening, uh, he gets upset. That's what this means, that the Malachamavis keeps his weapons there. It doesn't mean that like the demons are going to get you. It means, from a Torah perspective, Hashem is unhappy when when people aren't learning or dominating a shul. If you go to that shul, you're almost provoking God to, uh, to take it out on someone. But it's not, it's not a power outside of God. It's not shadim or something external. It's, it's regular scharva onish. It's regular reward and punishment for following the Torah, as we know from other Gemaras. So for the Rashbash, is a very important principle, a very important distinction. Of course, it, this is not science, right? The previous paragraph was about the different guidance about science. This guidance is not about science. It's about Torah. It's about God. God not getting upset at people for not uh, not following the uh, not not learning not being in the shul and therefore you shouldn't go there you're going to provoke God through the machamavis. Klomar shezem mechayiv misa. That's akanei. What's the solution? Shlo yelech yachid elabit zibrelis falavachsvetuah. When the Gemara says don't walk alone, it doesn't mean oh if you walk alone demons will get you. It means don't walk alone to shul. Bring a minion. Bring a chavrusa. Bring Torah into the shul. That's what you should do. And do tshuva and fix the fact that no one's learning here. Then. You won't be at danger because you'll have solved the problem. The only reason you're in danger is because no one's learning, no one's dominating. You'll solve that problem. Um, it's a pretty intense approach to learning. I don't, I don't know if, uh, you know, if uh, how how far we take this. I think certainly during the pandemic, where there's a good reason why people weren't going to shul. Um, I know I don't think anyone would uh, apply this uh, as look at all the chuvos about how people shouldn't go to shul when it's dangerous. But uh, this is an interesting reading of this chazal, uh, if a bit of an intense one. And he's just gonna finish up. The Gemara says um, that uh, the prayer of the community is more heard. God hears a communal prayer more than an individual prayer. Talks about the Ketores has Chelbena. All the different pieces go into the Ketores offering um, because you need all the juice. Bring everyone together to Shul, Daven with the minion, Daven with the group. That's what's important. God should have mercy upon us. We should be saved from the plague. Both then and uh, both then and now. So that's the end of the tshuva. Again, quickly to to summarize, big picture. What we saw is um, we have this problem of isn't aren't people uh, aren't people's uh, life uh, de decided on Rosh Hashanah? And the answer is not really. You have your baseline of when you're going to live or die. They can get pushed up or back a little bit. But even if your baseline is a few years out, if you're irresponsible now, you can die earlier. Which is why we have all these gemaras about medical guidance, and we also see the Rashbash very much wants to avoid different uh, demonic or Kabbalistic ideas, and instead wants to focus on um, medical guidance as important, and also not, not uh, provoking God for in ways of, uh, such as going to an empty shul. We want to instead make sure that there is davening. And this is his response. And I think it's important, really important, uh, and people quoted it uh, over the past year, to realize that um, you can't just say, well, everything's in God's hands, and I'll take my risks, and it's been decided whether I live or die. Actually, I know uh, talking to a journalist friend of mine, and she said that she talked to some rabbis, and that was their approach. Right? Hashem decided if I'm going to live or die. What I do doesn't make a difference, so I don't need to wear a mask. And that's that. Rashbash explicitly says against that. Right, the idea of of um, does not extend to taking medical risks. If you take a medical risk, even if you were supposed to die in 20 years, you can die this year because 
you're 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 taking on a new risk and a kobe does not extend god god controls many things but god does not control whether or not we take medical precautions so a really important principle in this rush bash um and uh one that uh, hopefully we've uh, we've internalized uh, over the past year, and we'll continue to, to follow going forward. I'm happy to take some questions now. I see someone put in the chat um, that Haridim uh, in Israel, or at least some claim that learning is saving Israel as much as the army, right? That is a rhetorical uh, uh, approach, a statement that's, that is uh, used. Um, I, think, uh, I think there is a limit to that, meaning I, I think uh, presumably, presumably if there were no army, and um, right, and there were enemies at the gate. Uh, I don't think it's a little hard to sustain the view that just learn and don't actually put out people. I think uh, the fact that the IDF is is there on the on the, you know playing defense means that uh, then then uh, it's possible to to enhance it or to to be even more powerful than it or whatnot. Um, it's possible to make that argument, but I don't think um, we generally have a principle that people don't take risks, uh, don't take extreme risks, and rely on miracles, which. You know, if there were no army at all, just that people learning would seem to fall into that. Um, and, you know, many, many, uh, much ink was spilled over this issue. Uh, Revezer Waldenberg, Sitzeliezer has a book, Hilchos Medina, that he wrote early on in the state where he talks about these different issues. And, you know, his, his view, and he was certainly Haredi, uh, his view, there there's there supposed to be a draft. He had all sorts of details of how to do the draft, but you need, you need soldiers to defend the country. Torah learning alone is not sufficient. I see someone posted, we learned Hakol uh, Shemayim, one of them in day school and not the other one, right? So the more famous one is Hakol Shemayim, Chutz Miyir Shemayim. Everything is in the hands of heaven except for fear of heaven, meaning, you know, you have to actually try and keep the Torah. Um, but you can't just say, well, it's all in God's hands, whether I keep the Torah or not. That, that's definitely the more famous one. But according to the Rashbash, it seems like the two, they're really the same principle. Because part of following the Torah is taking health precautions, right? So it's just a particular instance of, of, uh, of, uh fearing heaven one of the things the torah says is virapo yirape um uh which you know some some may argue but at least the standard view is you should you can and should avail yourself of of uh of what, what medicine is available and you should follow health guidelines as the rashbash laid out uh, so clearly here yeah so it's important an important principle um uh, maybe uh and you know hopefully uh hopefully educational systems will be clearer about passing that on uh after our unfortunate uh past year plus any other questions or comments or thoughts? Okay, well, I'm sure Evie has some coming attractions. Thank you uh, so much, uh, Rabbi Zukir, and thank you to um, everyone who uh, joined us today on Zoom, on Drisha Live, and also on Facebook. We continue our spring program uh, on Sunday at 10 a.m. with the final class in the series Alter Ego, Isaac, Abraham, and Sarah in the Biblical Narrative with Rabbi Silber. So I hope to see you there. Also note that next week we have uh, three additional classes for um, Pew Team of Shavuot. They're going to take place on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday evenings at 8 p.m. You can find out more information and the registration uh, links for those classes and all of our classes on our website, www.drisha.org classes. And thanks again, Rabbi Zukier. Thank you again, everyone who attended here Thank and you also everyone live. For and uh, Evie, if I can just add about the, the event next week, um, the, uh, the, the three speakers are different, on different Putim and Shibus are really uh, uh, expert scholars in the field. So it's really an uh, uh, all-star lineup, uh, highly recommended. Yay, that would be wonderful to see everyone there. Okay, great. So uh, hopefully we will see you Sunday and next week. And I wish everyone a good evening, a good afternoon, depending on where you are. And lehitraot. <laughs>